Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Paul Pierpoint has been mightily used of God across many decades, not only in the field of evangelism, but also in pastoral ministry. This is a wonderful sermon that he preached many years ago at the Midwest Pilgrim Holiness Camp Meeting in Anderson, Indiana in 1989, and he titles it, I Will Come Again. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. I know it's warm, and I'll try to be mindful. I've got a 30-minute battery. We can even cut that back a little bit. But if you'll pull the preach out of me, we'll, we'll go a little distance at least. But I believe God's got something for us. Let's keep our hearts open. Matthew, beg your pardon, beg your pardon, John chapter 14. Ordinarily, I read the more lengthy scripture portions, but because of the brevity of the hour, let me reduce my reading to one verse, John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. I'd like to have you look at that phrase, interesting phrase, I will come again. Let's say it together, shall we? I will come again. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful camp, this great day, the last day of the feast. We've appreciated your blessing and your presence. One more time, Lord Jesus, come and visit us afresh tonight in this part of the service. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I have just read to you one of the greatest, sweetest promises that Christ has left to his church. It speaks of the most thrilling, glorious event that will transpire in recorded time. While it is a future event, yet I know that with many of you in your singing heart, you carry the inner confidence that it might not be too far in the future. I can't imagine the thrill, the thrill, the unspeakable joy when in that moment we shall rise to meet our returning Lord. <laughs> I would like to close this camp meeting tonight by talking about another camp meeting. I am thinking about the camp meeting in the skies. Hallelujah. Oh, friends, hold steady, dear children. Amen. We're going to go to another camp meeting. 
the camp meeting of the skies. I haven't any idea, Brother Gray, the size of that camp meeting crowd of the skies. 10,000 times 10,000, thousand, thousand. Multitude of the blood washed from all sections of earth's population, from the four corners of the earth, from all ages. What a mighty crowd that's going to be. And buddy, if you don't like singing and shouting, you're going to be out to place in that camp meeting of the skies. Amen. And they sung a new song. And they sang praises unto the Lord. My, what a song and what a shout I can imagine. Oh, hallelujah. One of these days, our Lord shall return. And thinking about the promise of his return, I like to lay on your hearts three simple truths and not be too long tonight. First of all, the prospect of his coming declared. And then secondly, the pattern of his coming described. And thirdly, the preparation for his coming demanded. And I got an inward feeling we might not even get to the last point. Let's take two. The return of Christ is not a side issue in the word of God. It's not something incidental or minor. The prophetic message of the return of Christ is found both in the Old Testament as well as in the New. In the Old Testament, there are 17 books that make mention of the Lord's return. Somebody counted. I didn't take time to count it and verify the count. But some scholars said there are over 800 references appearing in the Old Testament referring to the return of our Lord. Then as we move over in the New Testament, we find that there are at least 300 references in the New Testament to the return of our Lord. The baptism, water baptism is mentioned about a dozen or so times. The Lord's Supper is mentioned about a half a dozen or so times. But the subject of the Lord's return is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament, about one out of every 30 verses. Can I stop long enough and ask you a question? If the truth of our Master's return occupies such a prominent place in Scriptures... And it did, and it does. Should it not have a prominent place in our hearts, in our lives, in our songs, in our sermons? And should we not live on our tiptoes in expectation of his return? The early church did. The early church was excited with the prospects of the return of the Lord. Would you like to be old-fashioned? Do you realize what the old-fashioned greeting was? It wasn't how do you do. It wasn't hello. You know what the old-fashioned church greeting was? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Try it after service. Amen. Try a new greeting if you please. Someone has said there are about 800,000 words in the Bible, but the greatest single word is Maranatha, the Lord is coming. The place is New Rheinberg, Germany. The situation, there is a gigantic Nazi party gathering at a rally. The time, 49 years ago, this June, 
over a quarter of million party faithfuls are assembled to hear their leader Hitler give his speech. German troops had marched across Europe. The past week or two before the speech, they had already defeated France. And it seemed like the whole of the continent of Europe now was at Hitler's feet, except for that little tiny island separated by a track of water. And at that time, the entire world was absolutely certain that Great Britain was going to collapse. It was just a matter of when. This was the background when Hitler came to the microphone and spoke to 250,000 of his party faithfuls. And he began this speech by saying something like this. I hear the British are asking, when is he coming? When is he coming? Well, tonight I say to the British, be patient, Britain, I am coming. Be patient, Britain, I am coming. And that Nazi leader, that dictator, Hitler, said that three times. At the first time, there was a shout from that great crowd. And when he said, be patient, Britain, I am coming the second time, there was a greater shout. And when that Nazi leader said it the third time, be patient, Britain, I am coming, it sounded like a bomb exploded. And that whole crowd, 250,000 party faithfuls, stood to their feet and cried, Sikhail, 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 Sikhail. Hail to Hitler. Praise to Hitler. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Since that time, and over these intervening centuries, in a sense, no one has seen or heard from him, in a sense. And the skeptics are abounding, and the infidels are abounding, and they're saying to us, where is he? Where is he? Where is the promise of his coming? Where is he coming? But you know, folks, even during this camp meeting, <laughs> the Holy Spirit has whispered in our hearts, deep in our soul, be patient, child, I'm coming. Be patient, child, I'm coming. Be patient, child, I'm coming. And one of these glorious days, that's going to be a reality. Jesus Christ is going to break the eastern skies and he's going to come and we're going to leap out of our graves or jump from the ground and shout, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Hallelujah. Oh, praise his name. Quickly, the pattern of his coming described. It's no graveyard secret that the study of eschatology, that's the study of future things. There's a great deal of disagreement. The questions of when he is coming, the questions on how he is coming, and when you get over the book of Revelation, all those kind of animal, animals and interesting things, all of this has promoted a lively spirit of discussion and sometimes disagreement and a few church split. First, there is the millennial question. And under this, there are three views. There is, first of all, the amillennial view. 
And that crowd says, there's no millennial law. Christ is coming. And then eternity will set in. And then there's the post-millennial view. There are not too many post-fellows that are hanging around these days. But I think there are a few. And they tell us the world is going to get better and better and better through legislation and through education and through the preaching of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, utopia, hocus pocus, will have a world of peace. I have one word for that. It's not too lovely. Baloney. We'll never have world peace until this world finds the Prince of Peace. And then there's the premillennialists who interpret biblical prophecy more literally, and they believe in the actual age of a thousand years when Jesus Christ will be present. And I'm going to identify myself, I'm a premillennialist. And in the premillennialist camp, there are three views. That is, three views relative to the rapture and the tribulation. There is a post-tribulationist view. They put the rapture at the end of the thing. There is a mid-tribulationist view that places the rapture in the middle of the tribulation. And there is a pre-tribulation view. This crowd believes that the believers of this age are going to miss the tribulation completely. And this crowd believes that Enoch serves as a beautiful type of pre-tribulation rapture. He was seventh in God's order. He walked with God in a corrupt time. He was taken out before the storm. He was translated and didn't die. Are you guessing on my position? But I want to be faithful to you, my dear friends, and tell you that I'm not going to have a falling out if you put that little thing that on your chart some other point as long as you believe that Jesus Christ is coming and you're ready for his coming there are prophetic scriptures that are not easy to understand particularly over in the book of Revelation I'm sorry, I'm sorry I don't know who the Antichrist is and I don't know just a lot, I'm, I'm embarrassed I don't know, I don't know but there are some principal facts and basic and fundamental you know, where the Bible speaks clearly, we must believe implicitly. And there's much about the return of Christ that is clear and non-debatable. And for the next few minutes, I just want to share with you some non-debatable facts pertaining the manner of the Lord described. Hallelujah! The manner of His coming. Number one, Jesus Christ is coming personally. I will come again. The Lord himself shall descend. Jesus Christ is not going to send an angel. Jesus Christ is not going to send an agent. Jesus Christ is not going to send Abraham to represent him. The Lord said, I am coming myself. Non-debatable fact. Not only Jesus coming personally, Jesus is coming literally and visibly. Oh, I like to study those post-resurrection appearances. Jesus is now speaking the last words to his disciples. And all of a sudden, the elevator light goes on. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, Jesus, gravitation loses its grip, and Jesus ascends into the clouds. Can't you imagine the look of those disciples? I mean, that's a rare thing to see something like that happen. And their jaws dropped, and their eyes bugged out. 
But there were two men there in white apparel said, this same Jesus that you see going up will come back in like manner. I want to tell you, my friends, his coming will not only be personal, it'll be visible, literal, and bodily. The same two eyes, the same Jesus go away. Those two eyes will see him come back again. Those two eyes that saw him go away bodily and literally will see him come back bodily and literally. Oh, I know there's a crowd that will want to see him, but I also know there's a crowd that can't wait for his coming. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> he split the skies this evening and we rise to meet him in the air and start our next camp meeting in the skies. I think this is what Paul meant, Brother Bellamy, when he said blessed hope. I don't think the blessed hope is merely escaping the tribulation. I don't want to go through the tribulation. Horrors. Turn on the spigot during the tribulation and nothing but blood comes out. Hailstones falling, some of them weighing 100 pounds apiece. It'll give you a headache you'll never get over. Earth's population, vast portions of Earth's population will be destroyed. I don't want to go through the tribulation period. God's wrath will be spewed out upon us apostate nation and church. But I want to be honest to tell you that's not the blessed hope. And the blessed hope is not just making it to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, don't you? Oh, I, just before coming to this sanctuary platform, I was glancing at some material in Revelation and my heart was pounding, Brother Bellamy. Amen. The fascinations of that celestial day. Fascinating to be sure to see a sea of glass mingled with fire. Fascinating for sure to go to the tree of life and pluck from its fruit and have fruit with a medicinal quality that'll make you live forever. That'll beat Shackley, Body Toddy, and the whole rest of the stuff. Ooh, I got some vibes on that one, didn't I? I'm talking about nutritional supplements, which are all right in their place, but I tell you, take of the tree of life and you'll live forever. You can't beat that. And the new Jerusalem, the city Jerusalem, fascinating, fascinating, suspended between heaven and earth. That's interesting. And the size of it, I always like something big. I, every once in a while I go to a home and the lady says, don't sit in that chair, please. Sit in that one. You get a complex after a while. But the holy city's a big one. Plenty of room, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, plenty of room. It's fascinating. Amen. And you know the poor are going to appreciate heaven and the city of Jerusalem because it's represented as a land of exhaustless store and plenty. I want to tell you, there are no Democrats in that city to raise taxes. Now I identified myself again, haven't I? And there are no OPA boards. And that identifies myself. And there are no welfare programs. And there are no stamp programs. <laughs> I tell you, that city has gold for its street and jasper for its walls. And the illumination of that city is the light of the eternal Son of God. There will no be no night there in that city. Hallelujah. Love for its law. And Jesus for its king. Fascinating. 
And so what I'm trying to tell you is that the glory of that day, the glory of that day is not in a place. It's not in golden streets. It's not in jasper walls. The glory of that day is seeing Jesus literally, visibly, personally, bodily. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Hallelujah. My goose pimples are coming on. facts and more than that Jesus coming is victorious that victory by the way was started at Calvary go back to that dreadful hour at the cross it's three o'clock but it's like darkness Egyptian darkness over the land Jesus utters several expiring cries one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Another cry he makes. It is finished. Hallelujah. When he made that cry, incidentally, that's not a cry of defeat. That's a cry of triumph. The sacrificial part of redemption has been made complete. <laughs> when that cry was made, the ecclesiastical symbols and rites and ceremonies, colossal in structure, hoary in antiquity, came down with a resounding crash and done forever. When that cry was made, <laughs> hallelujah, the priestly vestments were done away with and now hang in tattered shreds upon the ruined walls of history. When, when that cry was made, that gorgeously woven temple veil was rent in twain. And those young priests looked in wide-eyed and saw things they never saw before and lived. When that cry, are you catching on? When that cry was made, hallelujah, Christianity came forth as a stalwart giant and threw away its typical clothes, swaddling clothes of infancy, and it's on the march tonight. Jesus Christ didn't say, I have failed. If he had said, I have failed, angels would have dropped dead on the streets of glory. All hell would have been in high glee. The ravens of despair would have croaked on every tombstone. No hope, no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope. The city of God would be in shambles. But Jesus Christ, our captain, he didn't say, I have failed. He said, it is finished. And when he's, I might take my run yet. Clear the aisles, folks. I need wide berth. <laughs> That's a railroad expression, by the way, for you old timers. I tell you, that's a cry of victory. And when he made that cry, he laid the foundation for ultimate triumph. So when he comes again, all he's really doing is just mopping up the thing. The foundation of victory was established at Calvary. Hallelujah. First time that he came, 
He came as a babe in Bethlehem's manger, helpless little one. First time that he came, he came as a king without a kingdom. The first time that he came, he came with a purpose of tasting death for every man. The first time that he came, he came to a cross, an object of shame and ridicule. They spit on him. They mocked him. But, buddy, when he comes again, hallelujah. Are you hearing me? Outside, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Praise the Lord. When he comes again, he's not coming with the marks of humility. He's not coming with the marks of shame and defeat. He's coming with glory. He's coming with honor. He's coming with power. He's coming riding the white steeds of heaven. He's coming, my friends, with might and strength. He's coming as a king of kings. He's coming as a lord of lords. Hallelujah. He's coming to mop up this whole thing. He's coming to establish righteousness and holiness through this land. He's not coming a defeated one. He's coming as a victorious one. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. I don't often do much reading, but I'm going to do a little reading. I haven't used this in years and years. And somehow I just felt like sharing it with you. You've heard the story. What preacher hasn't told it? I'm sure most of you remember that almost immortalized words of General Douglas MacArthur in his retreat from the Philippines. I shall return. Did you hear me? Hold that up there a little bit, would you, in your mind? I shall return. During those terrible World War II days, and war is a terrible thing, much attention was given to Europe, to Germany, to Hitler. MacArthur was asking for help, support. He had been, of course, taken by terrible surprise by the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But the general felt like if he could only, he could hold out if he only got some support, if it would only come his soldiers fought valiantly. MacArthur, if I understand correctly, had a plan that would rout the enemy from the beaches and rout the enemy from the cities and not only hold their positions, but gains could be made. But Washington failed to approve. You know, Washington does a lot of funny things, don't they? Washington failed to approve. Uh, to, to approve. Instead, orders were given for them to retreat break through the enemy lines and move the headquarters to Australia. Douglas MacArthur was opposed. MacArthur said, I was opposed to the ultimate capitulation of the Bataan Command. But without help, Bataan starved itself into collapse. Corregidor capitulated soon after. Its surrender included all our armed forces in the island and dealt a destructive blow to the guerrilla movement. Up to then, the Japanese had been largely confined to the cities, and the countryside had kept comparatively free. It forced me to start from the bottom again. When the word of the disaster reached me, I wrote out, and you know, MacArthur could really speak, and he could really write. It forced me to start from the bottom. I wrote out my final tribute to the courage and the resistance of the men 
who held the entrance of Manila Bay for five months. Corregidor needs no comment from me, MacArthur said. It has sounded out its own story at the mouth of its guns. It has scrolled its own epitaph on enemy tablets. But through the bloody haze of its last reverberating shot, MacArthur said, I shall always seem to see a vision of grim, gaunt, ghastly men, ghastly men still unafraid and still courageous. The bitter memories and heartaches will never leave me, MacArthur said. It was not until several months later when three Americans who escaped prison with the help of the guerrillas were later brought to Brisbane by a submarine and told me the story that I received the agonizing details of the death march and the horrors of the prison camps in which the survivors were confined. And incidentally, it was at this time of departure that the general had been battle-worn. He identified himself with his soldiers. He ate their food, that is, what food they had. He expected any time he'd be dropped down by an enemy bullet. His breaking through the Japanese barriers was a miracle in itself. And finally he reached Austria. And when he came there, a press corps from the States were there to get his words. And this is what he said. When we arrived at Bachelor Field, reporters pressed me for a statement. I said, the President of the United States ordered me to break through the Japanese lines and proceed from Corregidor to Austria for the purpose, as I understand it, of organizing the American offensive against Japan, a primary object of which is the relief of the Philippines. And listen, I came through and I shall return. That word got back to the Filipinos and they shouted, it was like a strong tonic. Our leader is coming back. That expression lit a flame that became a symbol that aroused the whole nation. I shall return. Those words were etched in the sands of the beaches. Those words spoke of living hope for the soldiers. Those words were stamped on the mail. I shall return. Those words were whispered in the cloisters of the churches. I shall return. That became a battle cry that none of the soldiers of the enemy forces could silence. MacArthur left the Philippines in 1942. And on October the 20th, 1944, General MacArthur kept his vow and words spread like wildfire around the world. MacArthur has returned to the Philippines. Are you catching on? <laughs> Our commander Jesus Christ left the shores of time almost 2,000 years ago. I suspect some looked on the scene and looked upon it as a sense of defeat. But before he left, he said, I shall return. It's been a long time. Centuries have rolled by. The powers of darkness are working tonight. And the scoffers are having a time. And the skeptics are going on. But my dear friends, one of these days, and I personally, Brother Gray, do not believe it's too far in the future. Our commander will make good his word. 
hallelujah. And he'll split the eastern sky. He'll be the magnet of the skies that will come. There will be a shout. I just read not too long ago, there are three shouts that Jesus gave. And every time he shouted, it was a resurrection. Amen. There was a shout at Bethany. Amen. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what Lazarus did? He woke up. He came forth. And there's a cry of Calvary. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the graves were open. I won't be at Bethany and I won't be at Calvary, but I expect to be somewhere near all of it and hear the trump of the Lord sound. And when that trump blows, if you please, and the shout shall be heard, the dormitories of the dead will be shaken and we shall rise and meet our commander in the skies. Friends, 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 I don't know how I'm going to act. Do you? I know how John acted. When he first saw Jesus, the risen Christ, John, how did you act? He said, I saw him. Hallelujah, Brother Bellamy, one of these days we're going to see him. We see him now through the word. We see him now by the glimpse of faith. But one of these days we shall see him face to face. John said, I saw him. I saw him. Well, how'd you act, John? He said, I fell over dead. What a beautiful way to die. You know what? He, he didn't have a heart attack. He had a glory attack. He had an overdose. <laughs> and I have one now. Hallelujah. He had an overdose of heaven. He had an overdose of heaven. Hallelujah. He had, a, he had an extra exposure of heaven and couldn't take it and flipped over. Hallelujah. How you're going to act when with wingless flight we shall rise to meet him in the air and to see Jesus, our captain, our king, our Lord, our savior, our lily of the valley, our bright and morning. Shall we stand? Everybody stand. Edwards, come, come, come. Hallelujah. Glory be to his matchless name. He shall come. He shall come. The king in all his glory. The king in all his splendor. The king in all his power. Oh, dear friends, let's keep true and faithful. Let's sing something in closing, Brother Edward. Take the Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to